Hello there, welcome to episode number three, numero tres, of the Truth Is Allowed podcast. Today's guest is another very special friend, Felice Sukias. He is a senior underwriting associate in the commercial bank sector of J.P. Morgan Chase. He's deeply passionate about finance, the oil and gas industry, and of course, soccer. In this episode, we talked about his story, how he navigated the stock market crash and the oil drop when working in those industries, how his layoff gave him the opportunity to join J.P. Morgan Chase. For those that don't know this company, this is the largest bank in the United States and the seventh largest bank in the world by total assets. We also talked about how you can invest better in the stock market, 2021 predictions, and lastly, Bitcoin. Please share with me any feedback that you might have via Instagram. Just send me a DM to my personal account, Wisisuki, or the podcast account, Add Aloud Truth. Your feedback is super valuable. I really appreciate it and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Truth Is Allowed podcast, the show where great leaders from all sectors share with us the truth about their happiness and success. Here, you will learn how to shape your mindset and perspective to win in business, relationships, and life. Get ready to hear what you need to hear. Because the Truth Is Allowed podcast is about to begin. Fili Sukias, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Tell us a, a little bit about your story. You're currently working at JP Morgan as an underwriter for mortgage finance. How was your journey from growing up in Venezuela, going to the US and starting your life over there? Yeah. Before we get into it, uh, I wanted to say for your audience, I've known uh, Wissam since literally since he was in utero. 96. My best friend growing up was his middle brother, Ramsey. And um, he invited me and my mom to the baby shower. So I've known him since he was in the belly, you know, so it's been quite a while. So, yeah, uh, I mean, as you know, I, I was born and, and, and raised in Venezuela. My mom's from Venezuela. My dad's from Greece. You know, my parents got divorced when I was little, I think three, four, something like that. And my dad actually moved to the United States uh, late 80s. So ever since I've been coming to the U.S., to to visit you know spend the summer vacation the christmas vacation so i moved here i moved here in uh august 2nd 2001 right after your brother and i graduated from from uh, from high school uh i ended up going to a small catholic university here in houston and i ended up studying uh finance did you always want to study finance were you always good at numbers where you were young good at managing money or was it something that closer to the time of making the decision you said this is it I think I liked it I, 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 in general, numbers. Um, I always liked also to read. So I, uh, to be honest, when I was in Venezuela, I was, I was targeting uh, engineering, right? And, I, I, and you know, when you're in the, in the high school system, you have to apply, even though I knew I was moving here, I still applied over there. And I got into engineering at, at a couple of places over there. So when I started college, you know, you go to your, um, to your uh, advisor, so to speak, and it wasn't really a good advisor either. He's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. Okay, so you're undefined. Undefined, I guess so. Uh, just take five core classes. And all right, I guess I'll take the five core classes. 
And it was really more uh, talking to some of the other people in classroom, in particular, a good friend of mine, she, the, the, the school had a good international, uh, international studies book that attracted me, obviously, you know, the international side of us, we're coming from abroad, all this stuff. But she brought up a good point where she told me, I remember vividly, um, what are you going to do with that? How, how, how are you going to work with that? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to, are you going to be like a diplomat or something? Uh, she was doing finance and, you know, any company in the world will have a, an accounting department, a finance department, uh, you know, and, and the basic stuff that any company would have. So I'm like, that's a good point. That gives you a little more um, security. And I was already taking some of those finance classes that were sort of in the core, in the, you know, in the curriculum that, that you have to take. And I liked them. I had a great economics teacher. Um, and a, and a good finance teacher as well. So I just started gearing towards that side and ended up doing finance and, you know, things worked out. But I got to say for, for many years afterwards, I, and, and we'll get into it in a little bit, especially in my first couple of jobs where, you know, you're not really making a lot of money. Um, the, the, uh, things weren't that great and I was, I regretted it for a while thinking, man, I should have done engineering. What happens if I go back to engineering? Because, you know, the starting pay is oh, higher. Yeah. Uh, you know, Houston is the capital, uh, oil, and, oil and gas um, uh, capital of the world, energy capital of the world. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? Uh, so there was so there was certainly a lot of um, self-doubt and am I doing the right thing? It's, you know, I, I do like finance, but I don't like where I am in, in, in the job uh, market specifically. And part of the problem was, you know, I, uh, I graduate, you know, finance, fine. In that first year out of school, to be honest, and this is something that I've told people uh, some of, when I've had a, a chance to do a little mentorship at that, uh, companies that I've worked for or uh, just friends or family that they come over and, you know, and they ask me for, uh, you know, they're a little bit younger. And I would say, try to find good internships. Good internships are good companies that make such a big difference because I didn't really have it. My company was small and my, not my company, my, my university was small. So I didn't have the contacts that some of the big public universities have in Houston. Right. And I did, um, I did a internship at, Mary Lynch, you think, oh my God, Mary Lynch, 2004, you know, one of the big uh, finance companies in the world. But it was really like a marketing thing where you get in there and it's 10 of you and you're just reading a script. So it wasn't very well defined. It wasn't paid. It wasn't the typical um, learning experience you're looking for. Yeah, learning experience. And I feel like a lot of, not only in the university side, but also on the, on the on, on many company sides, they've, they, they become better at, uh, at having stuff that is structured that they start po uh, poaching a little bit of, of, of the kids from the, the different local schools that, you know doing the college fairs where you can get to meet them so it was definitely a little bit of the wild west so by the time you graduate i graduated in 06 my my best friend here he he had actually started you know a year goes by at uh, bank of new york you know one of you know big big bank here in houston uh, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a Wall Street bank, but, you know, they had a big office in Houston and I jumped over there. And, you know, you're thinking again, you're, you're going to be applying a little bit more of the finance and you're doing. And that first year was fine. Then the economy collapsed. 2008 happened. 
And then, you know, you're a year into the job and then everything just goes down the drain, layoffs, layoffs, layoffs. You start seeing some of the sacred cows in the company getting chopped. Again, that's when the self-doubt really comes back to it. So those were interesting days. And one of the things that you mentioned uh, in your previous podcast, uh, I think you guys talked a little bit about culture, you know, especially on a, on a, in the corporate world. Uh, you th- I used to be very cynic about it, but man, when you're in a good company that actually has good culture, you notice it. That, that's very interesting because I always had a two lane way. So I would be like, I either go and apply in one of those big companies that I know I'll probably be doing the same task 24 seven every single day, but I'm there and I'm learning and I'm seeing things happening around me. Or you go to a startup, smaller company, where maybe your task is not so focused and specified. You're doing a bunch of things at the same time, but you know what, if the company grows, you grow with it. So I can see you went a little with a little bit of both. If you were to recommend that today, obviously given the context, et cetera, what would it be? Um, I tend to be risk averse in general, but if you're going to do it, uh, take a little bit of that risk, I would say that's the time because if you fail or if it doesn't really pan out, it doesn't really matter. You're in your early twenties, but the reward could be great. And, and, and it's not like you're not going to learn anything. The contrary, you're going to learn a lot, you know, uh, and in, an, in a smaller company or even in a company where, where they're asking you to take on and put on your different hats, you're going to be, you're going to be learning so much more. And you, you can always take that knowledge with you to the next place. Because the big corporations, the big companies, they're always going to be there. They're never going to go away. Right? Somebody like, like your brother, right? Where he, he started his soccer academy in Venezuela. It's, been, it's done really well. If, even if it hadn't worked out at the beginning, you know, there's the corporate world out there. He could have gone out there and yeah. gone back to an office. But, it, you know, you take the risk, you give it a shot, and, and that's when you do it. How did you manage patience throughout that journey in finding your passion? Um, and when do you th- actually think impatience or a little bit of impatience is sometimes necessary? So I think the impatience for sure, the, to me, it was the, the, um, what I would call the, that motor inside, right? Where you're not really comfortable. You're not really happy, uh, where I was, you know, 2008 had happened. The economy's in the, can I say, go for it. You know, it's in the shitter. You don't know what's going to happen. And I'm thinking, and, and this is what I did. It's 2008, 2009 or so. Things seem to have calmed down, at least from, a, you know, they're laying off people. And I thought, the economy's going to be bad for a couple of years. So I'm going to go back to school, get my MBA. And hopefully by the time that's over, you know, a couple of years on the road, the economy's better. And I'll have the extra degree to compete and hopefully get out and go somewhere else. And I got a couple offers and I was able to get out where I was. I don't know if that would have happened if I didn't have the MBA. You know? I'm get, I got engaged. I get married. I'm like, how am I going to buy a house? How am I going to have kids where I am? There's no way. So you have to push yourself. You have to push yourself. I found as well recently that a bit of ambition plus not having another choice is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. I've met people here, friends of mine from Venezuela. So again, they come from the same background, they come from the same mess, and they have the chance to be here or go back. But for whatever circumstance, they're fine. 
Okay, like for them going back home doesn't necessarily mean to be stuck there forever. And I've, I've noticed how they've gotten lost in the way a little bit here because they don't have that almost like burden, but also privilege of, hey man, you got no other choice other than work hard to, to make things happen. Yeah, I mean, that drive, right? You got that, that, that motor, that, that, that thing that has to push you. Yeah. So I left uh, Bank of New York, right? I, when, and I'm going to get to JP Morgan. Uh, when, when I finished the MBA, I went to an oil and gas company. I actually had a chance to go to another bank, but I was kind of burned out on banks. I was at the time, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. 2008 kind of jaded me for a while. And I always liked the oil and gas industry, but I got there and oil is a hundred bucks a barrel. And, you know, I was on the strategic planning. So I was working on the capital budget, you know, we're assigning capital to the different projects of the company. And then 2000 at the at late, late 2014, that's when oil started sliding. Right. And, um, 2015 comes along and our budget went from, I don't know, 300 million to 90 million, you know, a third. And then 2016, oil keeps dropping and it dropped to 10 million capital. So you could see where things were coming along. Like, man, this is, this is horrible. It's happening all over again. You know, 2008, I left one industry to go to another one. And those first couple of years were great. So March 4th, 2016, on oil and gas, the, the oil and gas industry in general in Houston, they give you half days off on Friday. You know, you, you work a, an hour extra every day for two weeks. And then every other, every Friday, you only work half days. So everybody leaves at noon. So that morning we were suspect, we had been suspecting that my wife was pregnant with my second, my second kid. And that morning I had requested, Hey, I'm going to go to the doctor that morning. It's a Friday. You know, I'll be, I'll be in the office at 11. I'll work the afternoon, whatever. So I get, I get, we go to the doctor, confirm she's pregnant. Great. I get back to the office. It's 1130 or so. And people are leaving, right? Cause it's noon. People are leaving. It's Friday. And I walk in and I had a meeting scheduled for that day at, at noon. So I get there and my boss is there, the CFO, cause that's who I work for. It was the, her, the director, and then the CFO, it was a small team. It's small company. We walk in there and the moment I sit down, he goes, I have some bad news. I'm like, what? We're going to have to let you go. I'm like, are you kidding me? My wife is pregnant. We just found out she's pregnant and I just got laid off the same day, same day. And all I'm thinking, what do I do? It's different than if that happened in 08, right? I have a wife, I have a house, I have an older son. Now I have another baby on the way. And again, the motor, I mean, it scares you shitless, right? And all I'm thinking is I got it. When, when does my, and, and, and this Canada is better because, you know, I think they protect their workers a little bit better, but you know, here's your severance and your insurance ends today. So that's the other thing. I don't have insurance anymore for her. She's pregnant. What am I going to do? So I'm calling the pharmacies, trying to get all the vitamins for the baby, you know, for her to drink while she's still in, in, in the, uh, in the insurance because it ended the coverage ended that night and i start calling friends family blah 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 and you know again part of your networking and staying close with your friends and linkedin and all these all these resources because you just never know one of my good friends she calls me and tells me hey where i used to work the same group that i worked at, that i work now at jp morgan 
she had left because her husband moved to uh, to New York. They're actually hiring. So I called, you know, I sent my resume to her friend. He reaches out to me. Within a week, got the job at JP Morgan. It was, or, or I got the interview, you know, and then the whole process started. So within a month or so later, it worked out and, you know, it was fine. But you just wow. never know, you know, and in the moment, it's that motor and I'm applying and I'm applying and I'm looking and I'm looking. And even though you get the interview, you just don't know. And there's no motivation to your point, like a little fear. It'll get you, I mean, you shouldn't be, it shouldn't cripple you because it, it can be crippling. No, I can't do it. I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know. I don't speak the language or I don't know anything about it. You got to go for it. You have to go for it. Learn it. Do it on your own time. Even a little bit of fake it till you make it. But you, you have to keep moving forward, right? And that's how I got into uh, uh, JP Morgan. It was uh, very uh, strange circumstances. That story is beautiful, man. March 4th, 2016. I'll never forget it. You go from the high of, oh, my, you know, my son's on the way to, I don't have a job. How am I going to pay for the birth? By the way, your story in the previous podcast about how you reach out and you approach the, the, that coach and the training field and how that led to your job. That's what it is. It's it, just asking. Yeah. There's two things I want to mention from these two stories. Number one, we went through adversity. I would think when I was depressed, like, why is this happening to me? I should have continued with soccer, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you had a lot of those thoughts coming in as you were leaving that office after being fired. So it's not pleasant, but it's what you're saying. It's the fear that kind of like fuels you to go forward and be like, let's do this. And then there's another thing as well, Philly, that I want to mention, which is I heard a, an episode on the Tim Ferry show with Jerry Seinfeld. When you see these figures are incredibly successful, you never think they went through actual bad stuff. You have a lot of content in your life to be able to say, you know what, I have it worse. Well, it turns out he was telling a story. It was a two hour episode, highly recommended for everyone. He was telling a story on his beginning as a comedian, how he went to this, the most famous comedy shop at LA. And he went into this office with this uh, person that was running the whole place and all the comedians that wanted to shine would go to her and he explains how she went and she said literally and i'm quoting everybody in their life needs someone to step on them i will be the person that will step on you if i had five hours available i would give them all to this other guy instead of you <laughs> that's jerry seinfeld telling this story and he says well, if there's a sixth time slot available, let me know. And he left. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to live under these standards. Similar story, man, than yours and mine, Jerry Seinfeld. It's, it's very few people that are, you know, born in third base. Like uh, you're a trust fund kid. You're, your parents are rich and, you know, your life is made no matter what. Uh, most people, you know, even very successful people, like, like you mentioned, like, like Seinfeld, I mean, they remember we see them through their famous eyes because that's all we know of them you know well yeah. you're jerry seinfeld whatever but he probably sees himself as that 20 year old kid that is going to comedy clubs getting a door closed on his face and bombing at his jaw uh, jokes until he eventually insistence 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 and persistence uh, eventually makes it right so philly when you mentioned you gotta get out there and get out of your comfort zone 
I think it has become a very cliche phrase because people just assume it. Oh yeah, I'm out of my comfort zone. What does it actually mean? How do you embody being out of your comfort zone with a purpose? It's a hard question. Um, it, and again, I'm, I'm the type of person that um, it's hard for me to take risk, um, to get out of my box, because I think part of it is probably, you know, my parents are divorced. I've been getting on an airplane since I was five years old by myself to come here and there. I, I, I think I've always wanted that stability. You know? But if you really want to, um, I, I don't know if the word is success, because I feel like it shouldn't only be about money or anything like that. It, yeah. There's more to it, right? But you will be forced to do it. And either life will do it for you or you do it before life does it for you. Where you know that, you know, I don't know, you get an email from LinkedIn because you're registered on LinkedIn and it, and it looks like an interesting opportunity. I'm happy where I am, but that looks interesting. What happens if I apply for it? What's the worst thing that can happen? Nothing. Maybe nothing happens, but maybe I go through the interview process. Maybe I like it. And, and I've done that, by the way, where... I'm comfortable where I am, but I think I should take that phone call. I, should, I think I should reach out to that individual. Or, or somebody has reached out to you, you reach out back to them. Hey, how are you doing? Because you just never know. You just never know how life uh, turns around. I think getting out of the comfort zone specifically, whether it's you've always talked about learning, an, uh, I don't know, another language, and you actually make time for it. Or you want to learn about investments and you don't really know where to start. Well, go to YouTube and watch a tutorial. Or you want to learn about coding. I know people that have done that. My best friend here, again, he, he works at a IT comp uh, a technology company and he's self-taught, you know, incredible, the stuff that he can do now. It, it's that, whatever that interest, whatever that passion is, and, and just learn new things because otherwise you're going to get stuck. It's not the economy of 30, 40 years ago where you started a company and you're going to be there for 30, 40 years. You get your gold watch at the end and everything's nice and dead. It's not that at all. 100%. And, and and it's I don't think it's just a an individual case of yours, the idea of looking for stability. I think we're wired that way as human beings. You know, we come from literally tribes. We come from small groups, communities that have always looked for a cave, and and fire, and just s stabilize. But at the same time, it's what you're mentioning. Inevitably, along the way, there's going to be a period that you're going to have to be out there. Maybe you don't have to put yourself out there. Maybe you're fine. Maybe you don't need it. But if you want to scale, learn something, reach the next level, honestly li live life, I feel, there's going to be a small period in which you're going to have to go through that. Like back in the day, it was a saber-toothed tiger that was going to get you. Now it's the, you know, you could get laid off or something. Just stable and not learning and not adding value and learning new skills or meeting people. But back to your uh, JP Morgan, just I'm in the commercial bank, in the corporate client bank specifically, where we, we lend to companies. Mm -hmm. The bank really goes out of its way to, hey, if you, you feel like you've learned or you've, you've tapped out on interest in your particular area, they have mm -hmm. mobility programs for you to go try and put you in contact with other managers from other divisions. And on, on, on this particular topic, there, is, there was one managing director that was in my team at one point. He was a very successful guy. He had been investment banking in New York for you know, 20 years, made all the money in the world probably. And I asked him, like, you've been here for 22 years. I'm sure you've had clients of yours that they would have tried to poach you. Hey, come be our CFO or come work for us or whatever. What made you not go? 
And his answer was, I've had great bosses here. Why would I want to go? In this corporate world, when do you identify that those opportunities of growth maybe are starting to fade? Is it that you stop learning or you earn the same for quite a, some time and you don't feel the same? You feel like everything's stale. Everything's stale. I'm not really learning anything else. All the deals are the same. I feel like I can do this job with my eyes closed. You should start feeling a little restless because you, you always want to be the one that contributes. You always want to be uh, trying to do new projects or, you know, volunteer. If you think you've been doing your job for, I don't know, three, four, five years, and you think we really need a report that does X, let me go create it instead of me asking, why don't you go learn, really learn Excel and create that report that you've always kind of wanted that somebody else is doing for you. Little things like that go a long way. They really, really do. And if you feel like th that stuff is just not happening anymore, then it's probably it. Soccer analogy would be if you do your job based on the requirements of the job, meaning you just do what needs to be done and that's it, nothing else. I think that's similar to just playing the game, passing the ball, but you never dare to get rid of one or two defenders and, and try to the net. Let's talk about the market, man. To give people some context, we're not giving financial advice. We're just talking about finance. Things that we like, things that we've seen, experienced, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I started investing in March. I literally opened Yahoo Finance on March 18th. Air Canada was at $9. And I was like, oh, this seems cheap. I'll just buy a bunch. And I remember just waiting a couple of weeks. Boom, I almost doubled the money. I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is my purpose. But why do I say this? I think it was the worst possible start I could have had because I started off with the wrong philosophy. I started timing the market. I started playing on politics. What is Trump going to say? And I think the market up to a point reacted based on that. I remember Trump would go out and talk about Delta and United Airlines, etc., and then in one day, the airlines would go 6%, 7% of boom, which I understand is not normal. And then now, recently, when the market is not so predictable in the terms of, okay, everything's going to go back to normal eventually, the market's going to bounce up. Now there's a bit of some waves happening. Vaccine came out. The tech is, it was having kind of like a sellout, but now it's recovering. What's up with Bitcoin? And I think I don't have a strategy because I started off successfully with a bad strategy. Tell me, how have you um, sailed this year in the market? So uh, just, to, just to give you a little anecdote, uh, it was the same thing for me post-2008, uh, 2009, when you know, we, my, my best friend and I were doing the same thing. We're just, we're going to buy and we're going to make a lot of money. And it was the opposite. All we did was go down the drain and lose money every time, you know, because you're trying to time the market and you, you know, I'm buying these pork farms in China because my friend and my coworker and my other cubicle, he made, you know, $15,000 in three months. And when I bought it, it just went down the drain, stuff like that. So I, that's a rite of passage. Um, I think and this year in particular, and I think it goes for at least for my my strategy in general. I learned the lesson for me. I I, I can't do trading. It's 
you, you need a lot of time. You need a lot more knowledgeable than I have. And I think I try to follow Warren Buffett's um, um, philosophy in general, where buy the S&P 500, you know, which is the broader market index. Over time, it goes up, you know, eight, nine percent over go. a 10 year period. Boring. It's boring. It's nothing flashy, but but it's a tried and true. And and then the other thing that I would buy, especially in like a 401k, for those of you that have, you know, your retirement savings in, in a vehicle like that, just buy large cap um, blue chippers, value or growth indexes. You know, it's all the big companies that you know, but it's stable. They pay dividends and it's just slow growth, slow value. Okay. So do you invest at, at, at all in individual stocks? I, I have, but... For for after getting that bad experience in my early years, I, I I said no more. Again, for the general person out there, I would suggest that's the best way to 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 to, to really build that wealth slowly. Index funds on on cheap expense ratios, no more than thirty basis, for forty basis points, something like that. If if they're paying if if they're charging you one percent, I don't think it's worth it. It, it it's too much money that they take away. Uh, you know, places like Vanguard, JP Morgan, some of the other big brokers, they, they give you low, cheap expense uh, ratios on those funds. Yeah. And then for your play money, if you really want to speculate a little bit more, I would try to identify good dividend-paying stocks. And now you can find some really good ones where that are, you know, not your safe stocks are, you know, what what I would call your your your, your dividend aristocrats. That, those kinds of stocks, you know, they're paying two or three percent. It's nothing sexy, you know. It's your, it's your uh, Abbott Labs, it's your JP Morgan, it's those companies, you know, Apple stuff like that. But because of the crisis, because of the, where things are, there are certain sectors where I think you can really find some. If you're willing to wait, you can get that good dividend. You know, five, six, seven percent stuff like Exxon. I don't know if you've seen Exxon. It's ten percent right yeah. now. And part of the reason probably is because Exxon, they, they've been a dividend aristocrat. Uh, for your audience, I don't know if they know, but a dividend aristocrat is the companies that have increased their dividends for 25 consecutive years. So it's a very exclusive group. And Exxon is part of it. I think they don't want to, you know, they don't want to get themselves out of it because everybody else in their, in, uh, uh, from their peers, they all cut their dividends, you know, BP, Shell, all those stuff. But even Shell that was paying 9%, you you know, you can get four or five percent now. VP in March, and this is why I was really interested in doing it. And in the end, I didn't pull the trigger again. Um, back to that fear, back to that getting uh, out of your comfort zone. You know, I was in a more comfort zone uh, or more safe uh, from a career perspective now than I was in 2008, but I didn't pull the trigger. and. Shell, for example, it was trading at twenty bucks a bit, uh, twenty bucks a share, which it hadn't traded since the mid nineties. You know, and this is two thousand twenty. You think they're gonna rebound again? They were at sixty five before the you know the, the the crash. Now they went back to like high thirty. So you could have made a fifty percent increase in a very short amount of time. Is Shell really gonna go bankrupt? Very unlikely. So when you find those companies that are solid like that, I would say, and they're at a discount, take the gamble, take the plunge. Um, 
Another indicator would be those PE ratios when they're yeah. low, you know, when they're sub 20. That tells you there's value there. I would go for it. Uh, and then if you have a little extra money to speculate in your Teslas of the world that, you know, they just went nuts this year, uh, I would. So from from a personal perspective, I, I've been buying, when I started JP Morgan, I started buying, uh, you know, back to the story, my son, my second son was born. I, I, and I've been observing for quite a while Abbott Labs. I don't know if you know Abbott Labs. They make formula for babies, Similac, and some of the other, you know, stuffing products of that nature. Super safe. And I started buying it in 2016. And I thought, I'm, I'm actually, if I'm going to be buying formula for my son, at least I want to get some of it back on the on, on my stock, right? So I started <laughs> buying Abbott Labs. It was 35 bucks at the time. And it's now 100 and something, right? So that's what I call my forever stock. Just You can buy with drips. So you can buy fractional shares. Even if you don't have the full amount, you can buy fractions of it. And you yeah. slowly build that position. Uh, and then the other one that I bought this year, um, because of the way I was seeing things was Apple. I, I thought nice. iPhone is ubiquitous. It's the phone for, for everybody. You need it. You need it. Um, it. It really has replaced a computer. I mean, you know, yeah. in every sense of the word. And, you know, it's gone up. And I, I, when I bought it, Apple and all the other big ones, you know, mm -hmm. Tesla, um, Amazon, all those guys have gone up already 80, 90% for the year. And you're talking July, you know, because of the pandemic, because yeah. everybody now is buying Amazon. Everybody's now yeah. using Zoom. Everybody's now using, your, you know, their computers more and more and more. So I thought yeah. I'll, I'll do that. And, you know, a couple of years, and it's gone up, you know, I don't know, 30% since I bought it. It's not that much more. It's not that much in dollars. It's like $600 in, you know, two or three months, but it would take you 500 years to get that in, an, in a savings account with the way interest rates course, are right now. No, it would be unreal. There's no There's point, no right? Inflation is going to eat it up. So again, you have to push yourself a little bit to get comfortable with risk. Maybe not take crazy risk, but to get comfortable with risk in order yeah. to, um, you know, otherwise your, your money in the bank is just going to go away. You know? Of course. No, it would be unreal. There's no comparison. D do you think dividends are underrated because a lot of people and i would say modern investors for some reason i've noticed kind of like overlook dividends a little bit i think they do i think it's the um the i want it now mentality which which is i don't i, I think it's just part of being young you know uh you you want that load of cash now you want it now i don't want to wait till i'm 65 that's boring I want, you know, I want Tesla. I want all this stuff. I, I mean, again, back to the story. I, I went back in 09, 10, 11, whatever. I was buying the three times leverage oil and gas funds. You know, whatever the oil price did that day would go up three times and go down three times. It's an easy way to lose money, you know. But uh, for, for obviously more mature um, individuals where you maybe you're already, I don't know, 40 or so, you're building your nest that you do need a dividend you do need it because and just reinvest them it, it, it's three percent guaranteed you know that it's going to your to your portfolio why wouldn't you take it yeah and when you looked at uh the average for the s p 500 yearly is a seven percent increase you know a stock that's paying you three four five six percent it's not bad at all it's not bad at all and 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 
you know, 7%, uh, your money is doubling every, every 10 years. If you get 10%, it's doubling every seven years. It's like paying debt. It's the other side of paying debt to me. When you have student loans, uh, for example, if you have student loans and they're accruing at 6% interest, mm -hmm. you can go to the market and try to get 7, 8, 10%, whatever. But if you pay down your student loans, you're guaranteeing yourself 6% because you're paying that, right? You're paying that interest. And it's guaranteed. You, sometimes that's an easy decision. It's not the sexy decision. It's not the fun decision, but it's the right decision. So I heard, I heard by the way, that you, you, with your Bitcoin money, you got a Lambo. Is that true? Uh, yeah, but, uh, I try to keep it modest, you know, <laughs> but listen, Philly, how do you see the conditions of the market for next year? And I'm going to give you a social political context. I think a lot of people are not believing in institutions. I think the biggest consequence of 2020 was the erosion in our respect towards the institutions, which are, I think, I think fundamental for the success of our society. What do I mean by this? I think there's a large sector of the population that doesn't trust the police, that doesn't trust politicians. There's been numerous cases of politicians, at least in the US, and I'm talking of Western countries, okay, in which the governor of California, different mayors, etc., they were caught literally in fraganti, breaking their own restrictions after putting people in jail because they were breaking the law. So people, there's a lot of people not believing the police, not believing politicians, not believing in doctors. I think that the World Health Organization has made some mistakes. It's not an easy path to handle a pandemic. They made mistakes, and I think that generated public distrust. So you have people not believing in the police, not believing in politicians, not believing in doctors, not believing in the vaccine, not believing in one another, almost. How do you see 2021 and the market with this context? I think you missed one big one too. They don't believe the media. And some of it is deserved because they have been, um, you know, it's easy to caricature, you know, your Fox News of the world. All you do is right wing, right wing, right wing. And, and, and some of it is true, but it also happens on the other side where you um, ignore or diminish some of the stories that maybe don't look very fondly on some of your politicians on your side. You know? And you're supposed to be in theory neutral and that lens of neutrality has been gone and it has been gone for quite a while. And if anything, social media has accelerated that tribalism that we were talking about. All you got to do is anybody that posts anything on Facebook and you see the comments and I mean, it's the gutter, right? And, and let me clarify, Philly, which you just said something key. It's not that I'm attacking people that think this way. It's that partly these institutions made those mistakes. The police department in, or the police as an institution in the U.S. made a lot of mistakes. The media constantly became more almost like a stakeholder rather than a guardian of democracy. They became stakeholders. They became an extension of an ideology, almost, I believe. And same with the World Health Organization and these politicians. Like, I don't see how I can say to a business owner, no, you, you, you should cl close your restaurant. There's no way because they also have the right to earn their living or someone that heard from a health official not to wear a mask and then wear a mask, etc. not to have their own independent opinion. 
So that's, I think that's also very key. People have certain valid arguments to say, you know what? I kind of, I don't agree on this. The, 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 you know, with the media in particular, the, the rush to, to, to judgment, the rush to try to get the story out before you've checked it. I mean, and then it leads to mistakes and then polarizes society. And I think we all know cases, cases like that. With the, the one that to me really, really troubles me is the, the, the doctor side, the medicine side, mm -hmm. because in most of these guys, they're, they're not politicians. They're really looking out for the well-being of their respective societies. It's a pandemic. We haven't gone through something like this in a hundred years, since World War One, for God's sakes. Um, and there were some early mistakes. Sounds like some of those mistakes were made. Maybe I, I don't want to say on purpose, but to not create a panic, to not create a rush for masks and all this other stuff that they, you know. But for the most part, they've been right, I think. And and that uh, erosion of trust. We know exactly where it leads. We've seen it in Venezuela. We've seen it in many of uh, the third world countries. And it's funny that it's people like us, immigrants, that are <laughs> trying to defend those institutions in the countries that we live in. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, they make mistakes. But my God, you have no idea how much worse it can get. You try to build yeah. them up. You try to improve on them. I do think there is a complete, dis I don't know if complete, but there is certainly a disconnect between the stock market in particular and the economy, the broader economy, where, and I heard this term recently on another podcast, I, I don't mean to be podcast cheating on you, but, uh, but um, the, you know, with, with, with everybody working from home or not everybody, but a huge chunk of the population, it's like 20, the top 20, top 30% of the population what they call, and the, and the term they use was the digital elite. Those that can, you're now in your library, you're now in your, in your living room, you're working from home, nothing's really changed. If anything, it's maybe improving your, your, your economic situation because you don't have to wake up so early, you don't have to spend money at lunch outside, commute, all this stuff. And it's making that demarcation, that separation between that top 20, that top 30% and that bottom 30% even harder. To your point, it's that, and it's people that really need to go out there to work. They don't have the luxury of working from home. Those are the people that need to be supported and helped. You know, if you're working in a restaurant, if you work in a hospital, and in the hospitality business, in, in tourism, it's been horrible. It's been horrible 2020, right? And at the same time, the market is hitting new new highs every day because more and more money is in the hands of less and less people, right? So I, I would definitely be cautious with the market. Uh, I would try to buy sectors where, um, where they're, um, you see some value, where, where they're not at all-time highs necessarily, because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, can it really go that much higher? I think there's going to be some pent-up demand for people, you know, people like me, like we didn't go on vacation this year. I would like to do something next year with the family. Maybe the vaccine has been rolling out and we feel comfortable, hey, let's go, let's go to Mexico, you know, for a couple of weeks, Cancun or whatever, something close. Or people want to go to Disneyland or Disney World. So there will be some pent-up demand, I think, that will push some of those uh, stocks and some of those sectors hopefully back. Mm -hmm. But I do feel also there's a lot of um, cautiousness still in the air where do I, I haven't people been to, afraid of a second. Yeah, I haven't been to a restaurant since March. I haven't been to a restaurant since March. 
It's all been, you know, we, our local places that we used to go, we do take out, we go, we buy, we bring it back home. But we're not quite there yet. We're not quite comfortable. You know, my, my, my father comes over to the house all the time to play with the kids. My mother-in-law comes over to play with the house. Do we really want to risk getting getting it? I and mean, maybe even we're, you know, we might be fine. We might get just, you know, feel uncomfortable. But I don't know how they're going to react if we give it to them. Uh, hopefully, I think the vaccine will bring some of that optimism back just in general but i mean there'll be some sectors that are going to be slow to recover even you know uh, especially if they can't get that relief approved you know there's a moratorium on on evictions there's a lot of people that are you know they haven't paid their rent and are they going to be kicked to the street next week are they going to be able to get the relief they need so they can kind of get back to par um there's just a lot of noise i would imagine it's going to be choppy What do you mean by that? Choppy, where you know, kind of fluctuates a lot. There's just too much uncertainty. Philly, I want to talk about crypto. There's been a recent um, upbringing with Bitcoin. I think mainly for two reasons, Philly. You can correct me or add more. I think number one is just the fear of inflation coming up ahead, since there's so much money being printed in the U.S. And I'm talking strictly about the U.S. only. People feel well the when you have so many currency in the market, naturally it loses its value. So people are saying, okay, long-term there might be higher inflation, again, not like Venezuela, but enough to affect my earnings, even in the stock market. So they're going into crypto. And then number two, I see a lot of people saying as well that Bitcoin is the currency of the internet. And internet will soon be that force present in our lives, absolutely everywhere. We're used to that in Europe and Western countries, but in some countries in Africa, in the Middle East, etc. The internet is not 100% there, but it will. So they see this accessibility as the main asset of the Bitcoin. Anybody can buy it. What are your thoughts about Bitcoin? So I, I haven't dabbled too much into it. I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, there is an attraction for, as a storage of safety, you know, it used to be gold and silver, the accessibility of it. I do think there's also uh, some dark money in there, you know, people buying it for uh, probably some money laundering purposes. So that's going to be probably the trickiest part of it giving that uh, air of legit legitimacy um, that it doesn't carry that stigma still. I, I do agree some parts of the, the, of, the, uh, of the world where they're still undeveloped, that might be the easier means of exchange where they get the crypto. Don't be surprised if the banks of the world decide we're not going to get uh, run over by Bitcoin. We'll create our own, you know, that kind of thing. And we'll Their use own. it. Uh, we'll you we'll create our own currency. Yeah, or we'll or we'll build a network for it to trade, so we control the means because they don't want to get themselves out of business either. It's kind of like the oil and gas companies. You know, we see more wind and alternative energies. What do they do? They buy the patents for all these companies that are you know starting to buy to come up with all these new technologies, so they can control the means in order to funnel that transition because they don't want to put themselves out of business. You know. Do you think that if governments prohibit Bitcoin, will it collapse? 
I don't know if it would collapse, but it would certainly put a ceiling on their growth. You know, uh, I think there's a, again, there's a certain level of mistrust of general of, of, of humanity in their own governments because of all the things we've seen. So they they might never quite trust the, a new government's infrastructure for cryptocurrencies, for lack of a better word. I'll go with Bitcoin. I know Bitcoin is decentralized. Nobody controls it. Um, I trust that more. How does it play out? I don't know. But definitely what the, 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 the thing that uh, um, the technology that's certainly been able to, uh, it's going to be, it, um, it's going to stay with us is that blockchain technology, right? Where the, the and for, for your audience, blockchain, I mean, you can Google it, but it's the, it's, for lack of a better word, it's the network. It's the, the digital ledger where the transactions take place and it's closed, it's safe. Uh, I know a lot of other companies are building their own blockchains in order to protect their own data. Protect so seems like there's a lot of possibilities. One last comment on on, on crypto, and we talked yeah. about it uh, off the pod, uh, different conversation. But when 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 industries change, when when things change, or you think that they can't change because it's always been the way it is. Uh, the, the famous quote that I told you, it, this is a quote from the Minister of Oil and Energy in Saudi Arabia in 1970. Because at the time, they, they thought, well, you know, we've reached peak oil, there's no more oil in the world, we're, we're, we're doomed. And his quote was, the Stone Age didn't end because of lack of stones, right? There will always be something else. So again, being nimble, learning, moving, um, because you donate to the end because of lack of stones. There's plenty exactly. out there, right? There will always be the next invention. Thank you so much for listening to part one of episode number three with Philly. This is the end of this part because I promised Philly to hand over the podcast to him for an hour. So in part two, actually, Philly interviews me. We play underrated and overrated. We talk about soccer, sushi, Vancouver, and many, many other fun topics. Don't forget to follow the account's Instagram, Allowed Truth, or my personal account on Instagram, Suki, as well as leaving your feedback. It means the world to me if you share this episode with someone you think might enjoy. See you in part two.